2: From Postcard from the Past and Wardour Studios, this is Podcast from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. This is the podcast where we engage with colourful little cardboard oblongs for longer and with closer attention than is strictly necessary as we attempt to understand the memories, meanings and stories held by picture postcards. I'm Tom Jackson and I'm delighted to say that for this episode we are, as you can probably hear, not in our usual home at Wardour Studios, but we're out and about in the magnificent Turner Contemporary in Margate as guests of the Margate Bookie 2019, the friendly literary festival by the sea. Well, we'll see about that. (laughs) And we have a live audience that you can probably hear... ..just about. And I hope that you will show your appreciation as I introduce our brilliant guests for this episode, Karen Shepherdson and Scott Pack... Scott and Karen, hello, and welcome to Podcasts from the Past. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Now, Dr Karen Shepherdson is a photographer, curator and writer. Specifically, uh, she's reader in photography at Canterbury Christchurch University, where she directs SEAS photography, Seas. Seas Seas photography, photography. Yes. Um, which we're going to hear a bit more about later on. Um, but it is a collection of seaside photography, so very appropriate for us today. Um, and she also co-directs the Centre for Research on Communities and Cultures. Um, Many of you here today uh, will have seen the fruits of Karen's work uh, right here in the Turner Contemporary in the wonderful Seaside Photographed uh, exhibition earlier this year uh, that she co-curated with Val Williams. Now, Karen, you come here today with a CT12 postmark, is that right?
3: Yes, I think that is right. Is that Ramsgate CT12? I'm not sure. Maybe somebody? Yes, it is. I think CT12 is Ramsgate.
2: But... And why, why Ramsgate? What's that to you?
3: Well, it's more than Ramsgate actually. It's, it's the Isle of Thanet. Uh, I'm, you know, it just runs through my marrow. I've lived here all of my life. And um, I was speaking to somebody earlier that referred to himself as, um, uh, uh, in many years past, I hasten to add, but as a as a denier of having lived on oh. the Isle of Thanet. <laughs> um, uh, and sometimes it's been referred to as the Isle of the Dead, or from Thanatos, Isle of the Dead. <laughs> and I had to uh, reassure him that he hadn't been the only one. And um, and I used to find the fact that I had been not only born but bred never left. I desperately, you know, wanted to be able to do something glamorous like live in London. I had felt a sense of shame, and then I rediscovered my my love of this place, um, you know, through a ver- variety of ways, but really predominantly through. Telling a lie. I told a lie. I lied about the fact that I had lived elsewhere. <laughs> and, um, and I can't even say that I was very young when I did that. So um, I had to really go and sit in a room and think about why I told such a silly lie. And from that, actually, I, I found a love for him. So now you
2: can celebrate that continuity.
3: I can, Very yes. good.
2: Now, Karen, a very, very important question. Do you still send postcards?
3: Very occasionally. I have a very elderly aunt and I send postcards to her when I'm away, otherwise she worries. So, um, Yes, I do. Good
2: for you, good for you. Now, Scott Pack is a big cheese in the publishing world. Um, He's editor at large at Iron Lightning Books, and he was formerly head buyer at Waterstones. I think, actually, when I was a junior at Waterstones, so that hardly seems possible, though.
1: You should be extremely grateful <laughs> that I've turned up, then. <laughs>
2: um, And he was a senior editor at HarperCollins as well. Um, and he currently has an editorial role at Unbound. He's still to work for them?
1: A little bit, There
2: yeah. we go. is uh, a crowdfunded publisher. Uh, and he's co-founder of The Abandoned Bookshop, which is a digital imprint that reissues out-of-print titles as e-books.
1: It's all accurate so far. Good, what? good.
2: Tick. Uh, now, books that Scott has edited, published, or otherwise shepherded into publication... Have been long listed, shortlisted, and won prizes, including, and I've got a very long list of prizes, but I feel very good saying them. Folio Prize, Welcome Trust Book Prize, DSA Southeast Asian Literary Prize, Gordon Byrne Prize, Green Carnation Prize, Bisto Children's Book of the Year, Thurber Prize, Gerwood Fitch Uncovered Prize. So he knows what he's doing. And Scott also has a secret life, writing quiz questions on TV shows.
1: Well, it was secret. No, You've <laughs> absolutely blown it.
2: Now. And Scott is soon going to be sharing his secrets in a new book, Tips from a Publisher, A Guide to Writing, Editing, Rewrites, Submissions and More. And Scott, you come to us this afternoon with an
1: SL4 postmark. I do indeed. That's a Slough postcode, which I'm sure will make you all quite jealous. Um, but I would like to point out it's exactly the same postcode as Her Majesty the Queen. Good Lord. So I live in Windsor. Windsor has a Slough postcode, and both my house and Windsor Castle are SL4.
2: But the, the rest of the postcode would differ slightly. It's
1: slightly it? different. I'd never get her post. <laughs> she uh, probably gets yours. She may well get mine. She could be a little bit shocked if she got one of mine. <laughs> but yes, occasionally, uh, every now and again, certain residents of Windsor, I'm not going to say the Tory voters, but it would be them, um, try and uh, uh, sort of petition to have a Windsor postcode. They don't like having a Slough Uh-oh. postcode. Yeah. Because I think Slough's a bit common, Mm -hmm. you see. Uh, But I I have great pride in the fact that the Queen has a Slough postcode. Excellent. Very good. So sell for it is. Now, Scott, when did you last send a postcard? I last sent a postcard last week. Good. Tell me more. Well, uh, I still send them um, and receive them. And something I don't think you know... But in one of... uh,
2: I wouldn't be surprised. Very little I do know.
1: So I wrote a book a few years ago called 21st Century Dodos, which was a celebration of inanimate objects that are becoming extinct, cassette tapes and that sort of thing. One of the things, one of the entries, was handwritten letters. And basically I offered to send a postcard to anyone who asked for one. And I had an email address set up and people would email me and I would send them postcards... And, then, and that was fine, because the book didn't sell a huge amount, so it was tolerable. And then the Guardian picked up on it and oh, ran no. a piece, <laughs> including my contact details. Oh, no. So there was a period a few years ago where I was sending 20 or 30 of these things a day. Really? Yeah. So okay. that's why I'm delighted to be here and delighted to be asked. Very. And they were, just to go back into it, were second-hand, sta- second-class stamps? or? They were second-class stamps. That's yes, still let's pricey. Not, let's not get carried away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, these were strangers I was sending yeah. things to. Yes. I was very happy for them to take a few more days to get
2: them. Very good. Well, I mean, I, I spent my life looking at postcards from strangers, so yes, I kind of have a yeah. sympathetic ear to that one. Um, before we discover the postcards that Scott and Karen have brought along to share with us all, uh, I'll give you a couple of quick cards of mine. Um, of course, these are postcards from the past, style cards, like I do on Twitter, an old card from which I've selected just a bit of the message. Um, so let's start with this card. This is a view of um, Hunsert Mill... Uh, in Norfolk, the Norfolk Broads. Norfolk Broads, a very popular place for sending postcards. Um, we have had two great catastrophes. One, my pants went overboard into the water. <laughs> and two, Aunt Pearl's hat did the same. The hat we rescued, the pants we could not and did not. <laughs> so... Um, so uh, a nice story, really. Uh, one more of these, quickly. Um, this is a card of uh, the Devil's Chimney. A beachy head. There you go, beachy head. A uh, very nice picture. It's a rather abstract view. And a bit of the message that amused me was, um, The hotel and waiters are nice, but there is no-one my age. Hope your hamster is well. <laughs> Now, here in the room, uh, the cards we're discussing are being shown on a screen, hence people's responses. Um, At home, they should be popping up on your device, depending on how you're listening. Uh, But you can also go to the show notes uh, on the blog, postcardfromthepast.co.uk, and see that we are not making this up. Now, Scott and Karen, you've been kind enough to come to a gallery today with some postcards of your own. Uh, Karen, let's start with you.
3: Okay, let's do it.
2: Can you tell me about the first card you've brought along? That oh, is. right.
3: Oh, that one. <laughs> okay, okay.
2: Now this is appropriate for the seaside. It's a seaside comic seaside postcard.
3: Yes, you'll see that I always remain close to home. This isn't uh, this isn't sort of typical of the postcards that I would normally uh, select and certainly uh, not buy. But I'm quite interested in them. It's by it's by Dudley, um, but I do collect. Um, postcards that have seaside photographers on and how photographers have been repeatedly depicted both as male, uh, predominantly on postcards, and also in this particular way of, um, well, let's say, slightly uh, sleazy. um, Just a bit. Yeah, just a bit, and... um, and sort of sex not far away from the, the conversation, as it were. So, yes, I chose this, but I chose it not not really because of the front. I'd really rather it have had a different seaside uh, photographer on it, because it's uh, about him changing his film, and you've got the empty reel of film just in the corner by Dudley's name. Which is, course
2: of course, a piece of history now in itself.
3: Absolutely, but could be mistaken for some sort of strange phallus. Should I show off the back? If you flick yeah. over to the back, there's a there's a... Um, a story there that kind of links to this notion of the filmmaker or the film film, um, being produced. And this is to Mr and Mrs Paul Taylor, and I think it's Paul and Rini. And it's uh, saying that... um, Well, I think it's Ross, but it could be Rose. I don't know. What do you think, Tom? Well, the
2: the two essays are very different, aren't they?
3: They are, so I'm not really quite sure of the gender of the sender. They've made
2: a very good effort on the rest of the writing.
3: Exactly. Something goes uh, a little bit more ambiguous and maybe anonymous when we get down to the name. But I just really love the message because it it stays true to this notion of the the filmmaker and, again, something that could be quite dark and uh, rather sordid because... We can see... uh, Can we read it
2: for listeners?
3: um, Last time round. So I think that that would suggest that was the last postcard that they would be sending. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah, I'll be knocking on your door late (laughs) Friday 25th, and I think this is from 1963, October 1963, about the same time as before... Do you think Keith could hire, borrow, steal a car from Franklin's so I can get to EG's at Saffron Walden? I've shot off another 150 to 200 feet of film, hence the appropriate card. So clearly uh, an amateur filmmaker, 100 foot, 200 foot of film that they clearly want processing. And, of course, the ambiguity of that is what's on that film. And, uh, yes, it just sort of tickled my uh, intrigue, really. Um, And, uh, you know, linked to that seaside, I think it's been sent from Plymouth, yes, the hotel in Plymouth, it was one of the ones that, um, A, really shows how men are being portrayed as photographers at the seaside, and uh, whilst that can be seen as quite jovial, um, I think that actually the seaside remains a very difficult place to be a man with a camera. Um, so I think that men with cameras at the seaside are often really beginning to feel uh, under threat themselves, and that's to be seen in a particular trim. way. Well, uh, I think that when we go back even further, the man with the camera is being seen as, you know, a, a peeping tom or oh, a voyeur. Okay. Um, and uh, you'll see some of the other uh, from the other selections that I've made that they are seen in a particularly negative light.
2: So you, you well, well, we'll see the next card. Remember, you're mm. suggesting that that's a problem for the male photographer that they might be perceived badly the, the, the contrary view that it might be seen as a titillating notion that you can become a legitimized voyeur.
3: that's a very good point and I think that that was actually part and parcel of this that it was um, all good sport um, and of course it offers an opportunity to show something that's titillating uh, in terms of the um the young man or the man here changing uh, on this the picture. Film. I rather
2: like the, the, the couple on the other side of the groin who are <laughs> could not be more shocked if they tried. Yes, yes, <laughs> their eyes are literally popping out.
3: Yeah, and again, in terms of their shapes, this is absolutely typifies what we see in these photo uh, in these postcards, these sketch postcards that people are either very, very thin um, or hourglass if it's a, a, a woman of a certain age and then. Uh, adults of a certain age are either incredibly thin, thin or very, very large, uh, and that becomes part of the comic uh, element of it too.
2: So, voyeurism, keeping with the, the theme yeah. of voyeurism, we have a, an earlier card with a voyeuristic uh, look, I think. Let me just get to that.
3: Oh, yes. So. Oh, yes, I love this one. I really love this. He's Terry Thomas, really, isn't he? You know, for those of us old enough to know Terry Thomas. But it's actually a German card. No message on it, unfortunately, so hadn't been used, so an unused uh, one. Um, and this uh, cad with his large shoes and thin legs and, of course, his bellows camera um, about to pounce on what appears to be this uh, woman about to change behind the bathing hut this at this German resort.
2: She's made a bit of a mess of, of being modest, really, hasn't she? <laughs> Given it appears that her buttocks are pointing out. But yes. Um, but all may, may not be as it
3: seems. All may not be as it seems, and so there's a wonderful I've th- reveal. I've
2: got my thumb on the clicker, go and here we go. Go for
3: Tom. And here we have the illusion. So the postcard is what I find as wonderful illusion. In actual fact, from the turn of the century, there's lots of these cards that play with this expectation that you're going to see something, I, I think... At the time, we would refer to it as somewhat saucy. Certainly. Yes, certainly. Uh, and then, of course, we are frustrated by, or find comic, the um, the reveal or the revelation. Imagine
1: that, the bitter disappointment. <laughs> Great disappointment. You receive this card. <laughs> you see the butter. This is my moment. And then. And then we uh, get
3: this reader, this the thinker, the the thinker in. I think these are called a, a strand corp. Uh, I don't these know. beautiful wicker strand but Am oh, I saying yes, that? Yes, They're yes. a German beautiful wicker? Yes. I'd like one of these because they, I've they protect I've sat in them in Poland.
2: You. They're really nice.
3: Yeah, and they protect you a little bit from the wind. So you know, Margate, we do tend to get a bit of a northeasterly from time to time. So I think this is, uh, yeah, just really. I love the beautiful reveal, and it's beautifully sketched and painted. I, I, I think it's a a lovely object in its own. I in think it would be very, mind.
2: very hard to find one of these that have been sent through the post. I think they were designed as playful souvenirs, don't you think?
3: I, I agree. I think that it would struggle to go through the post because I think it would be damaged. So I think if it was sold, I wonder if it was actually sold originally with an envelope yes. as well. So I hope you it would don't double think I was... weight,
2: wouldn't it? So the post might not like it.
3: Yeah, yes. I hope you don't think I was cheating by including it because when we look at it, you know, in terms of its um, size and shape, you know, I mean, it is yes, absolutely... Here's the real thing. You can show yeah. us the reveal, yes, actually, so... Brace yourselves, and then here we go. <laughs> oh, what a
2: disappointment!
3: But I find it interesting, you know, the character, you know, the sort of Terry Thomas likeness. that, that is actually um, a stereotype of the cad uh, and the and the voyeur do, again. Do you know what date that would be? Well, I think it's difficult to tell. I think it's probably nineteen um, twenties, maybe maybe nineteen thirties. I think pre Second World War. I would yes, imagine. Yes.
2: And it's definitely German.
3: And definitely German, yeah. yeah. Very
2: good. Now, um, we we got you here, Karen. So tell us a bit about... Your, these are not photographs, but your interest no. in seaside photography with seas. What do, what, what do you do there? What's it all about? How does that happen?
3: Well, it's an absolute joy, I can tell you. That's the favourite bit of my job. As an academic these days, you, you, you inevitably you wear many hats, but one of the hats I wear is a director of seas photography, the South East Archive of Seaside Photography and we've got probably the largest national collection in terms of seaside photographs, but predominantly uh, commercial seaside photography. And so really up until the 1970s, all of our coastlines were not swamped, but had numerous um, commercial photographers uh, working the coast, taking what was often referred to as either seaside photos of portraits which we made into postcards, um, or people walking, they're often referred to as walkies, Um, And so you could have your photograph taken on one day, you could buy that photograph as a postcard the next day and then send it off to your family to show what jolly good time you're having. Um, So we've got a large collection of those because they have no monetary value, uh, but they have such fantastic cultural value. I mean, they're so so significant in terms of the seaside cultures and, and life on the edge. Um, But alongside that, we have... um,
1: The Edge of Britain. The Edge of
3: Britain. I mean, that's exactly where we are, and it's a wonderful place to be. Um, And it creates a a really interesting body of photographic work. And we've got the Sunbeam Collection, which was one of the largest seaside photography companies. They were based in Cliftonville here in Margate in Swain Road, had a factory, employed a huge number of men and women... uh, um, and had um, probably one of the largest operations in the country in terms of seaside photographs. So in our archive, we got well in excess of 150,000, 200,000 photographs just, yeah. from, just from Sunbeam. And, um, so they kept
2: the negatives?
3: The negatives. Uh, well, none of the walkies. I mean, that's right. the interesting thing, because uh, there wasn't a negative. They were actually positives. Uh, okay. And if they didn't sell them, they pulped them for the silver. There was all that. That's where the value lay.
2: Because I'm thinking there'll be no resale value after you've taken. People aren't going to come back a year later and say that picture you took last year. I want another print.
3: No, that's exactly. It. There's just, no they point. They just were
2: hoarders. They wanted to keep them.
3: Well, they didn't keep the walkers. We've had to use members of the public have donated all of the walkers, right. and we've now got a collection of probably in excess of a thousand pound a thousand of those. Um, but the the large collection are these photographers going out and also doing a lot of commercial seaside photographs, for things like leaflets, hotels, and these are glass plate negatives as well as film negatives, colour and black and white. I mean, they're just it's just one of the most extraordinary collections I've ever seen.
2: And you're looking after it.
3: We foster it. We absolutely. What, that's our. Can we see it? Yes, uh, scholars and artists and members of the public can come in and see. They can just so book knock, to knock come and see Knock on Karen's door and make You can it just email me. And I've uh... got a
2: couple of shots. I think that I don't. I think they're from your yeah, collection. I've picked them know from the them. internet. You'll tell me.
3: Yes, I'll know them if they are. Oh yes, that's a very yes. That's what we call a walk is. Uh Yes. That's not
2: a real animal, is it?
3: Uh, no, that was actually unfortunately referred to as the silly cow. But these are called props. So in order to get children and therefore their parents to buy these. Postcard, so on the back it's a postcard. Uh, They would entice through having something like a cow or a Mickey Mouse or a um, a stuffed, real stuffed tiger or lion or zebra, and then the children would, or the adults would sit on it. Yes. A couple more. Uh, And this is just along the road here. This is the opening of, I think it was Morelli's. And I think this was 19... It was 1958, April 1958.
2: There's a couple of tough little boys there.
3: They gave away free ice cream, so those nice, yeah. those beautiful Margate boys went down there. And I just love, love this. But you look at the boy... I didn't know he was going to show this, actually, Tom, but you look at the boy on the far end there. Can you see his little shoes are split? Oh. Ian, no socks. There's no socks under his... What date his, is this, did you say? It's 1950... I can tell you it's April 1958 because oh. of the date's actually on it, because they put a banner up. The little girl, there's a little girl behind the little boy with the split shoes, having to carry another child, probably a younger sister. Um, The little boy next to him's got a little S-belt on, like a snake belt. Like you've got. Like I've got on, yeah, today.
2: I've got got one more of your pictures. All right.
3: Oh, yes, that's that's Margate. Uh, That's Margate, where you tuck your dress in your knickers (laughs) and you go out and... I did it earlier. (laughs) Good for you, Tom, and you go out and have a... I mean, in, in...
2: in photographic theory, I know nothing about these things and you know all about it, but they talk about, this thing is it the punctum, oh, the moment is. when a picture's taken? Yeah. And so often, I think, at seaside photographs, that is a moment of delight for people. Yeah. So you're capturing something that resonates from the print so powerfully.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good one. Yes, that is a fancy word, isn't it, punctum? But it translates to be piercing and I think everyone knows what that feels like, that when we look at a photograph, and that might be a very different photograph for each of us in this room, but it, it either it touches us. I mean, I, I sort of put my hand on my chest, and it might be in your gut or your head or your eye, but there's something that... And if I said, well, actually, I'm going to take that and shred that... You, you, know, you would defend Ooh, that a bit one. Crying, it, a bit yes, crying. it would be it would be worth defending, and that's that's that moment that you're mentioning there. Yes.
2: Very good, very yeah. good. Well, everybody, knock on Karen's door and go and see her photographs. Oh, you're
3: always welcome. <laughs> no, it means that I'm not writing reports if you come and <laughs> knock on my door and come to the archive with me.
2: So, thank you for opening up that to us today. Thank you. Now, Scott. Oh yes. We're not looking at <clears> individual uh, photographs turned into postcards here. We're looking at something I think which is, if, I, if this works. A simple commercial postcard. Tell us why you wanted to talk about it, you wanted to feature Beaconscott.
1: Well, I think of of the postcards I brought along today, this is the only one that is a sort of commercial purchasable postcard. Uh, The others will make sense as I explain them. But um, so uh, this is a postcard that I purchased last time I went to Beaconscott Model Village, Mm -hmm. which is in Beaconsfield. It's named after Beaconsfield and Ascot, uh, because that's where the creator, he lived in those two places. And it is one of my favourite places on earth. It's one of my happy places. Why? And I think You tell me why. Well, I th- so I just, last week, I turned 49. I realise the people in the audience may find that hard to believe, but it is indeed true. Poor old soul. <laughs> and, uh, it's terrible, isn't it? But that means I grew up in the 70s which meant that I grew up with uh, children's television including Trumpton, Camberwick, Green and Chitty ah. ingrained on my mind. And for those of you who don't know, they were sort of stop-motion model animations uh, set in villages. And I mm. think that's ingrained in my head, the whole yes. model village thing. Uh, I live in Windsor, which is fairly close to Beckinscott, and, Scott, and uh, we've taken our kids there numerous times over the years. And this last occasion was actually uh, with my daughter... And I think it was around her 17th birthday. Because, as old as that. Yeah, to we, be because going it was like, Scott. what do you want to do? I want to go to <laughs> Scott, Because we all have that nostalgia. And it was yeah. wonderful to see that the nostalgia I have for Windy Miller and, uh, <laughs> you know, Pew Bew, Barney McGrew, and all that sort of stuff, it sort of carried on through, through her. And uh, Beckenscott is amazing. It was created in the 1920s, the oldest model village in the world, the very first one. And it was created by a guy called Roland Callingham, I think. And it was, a, it was something he did in his own garden for friends. He was an accountant, quite a successful accountant, because he had his staff build this for him. Yeah, don't uh, know how, how they would have felt about that? Well, I don't know. I got know. some overtime this weekend. Exactly. Do, are you um, doing the books? No, I'm building a model village. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's still there, but now it's open to the public. He died many years ago. Um, it's got a fully operational model railway that goes through and lots of different stations... Um, the shops all have puns for the owners' names. And there's another delightful thing, about it, something I find delightful about it, is when you get to the end, so there's a route you follow. And when the kids were sort of two or three, it took hours, this route. Now it takes like 20 minutes or something, but it's fine. But at the end, there's a little sign which just restores my faith in humanity. And it just says, please feel free to go round again.
2: Oh, very good.
1: It doesn't make much to cheer me up, but you know, I just think that's just a, a lovely thing. Nowadays it raises money for charity, um, and it has also featured in an episode of Midsummer Murders. Really? And in an Enid Blyton story. Enid yes. Blyton used to live nearby, and they actually have a replica of her house. Oh, very good. And there's a car in the driveway. I don't know if anyone in the audience wants to guess whose car it is. Noddy, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, and there's also uh, there's a streaker on the football pitch, there is a thatch cottage that catches fire and then the fire engine puts it out. It's a wonderful place and I just think increasingly we live in quite cynical times and yeah, that's just the way of the world. I'm a cynic myself so I can't really complain too much. But there's this, this little place, 20-minute drive from my house... Uh, and it's retained. It's it's kept, been kept in the 1930s. The decision was made some time ago. We're not going to update mm. the architect. This is mm. organ- so it's a 1930s village in miniature.
2: And I suppose it must be one of the few very popular attractions that isn't part of a franchise yeah. or part. Of, it's not. It's not a mm. spin-off yep. from anything. Uh, it is this weird thing yep. that this chap came up with in the 30s.
1: Absolutely, it's um, it, it's almost as it was. But you can see. You can also see the workshops. So as you walk past, you can see them building other models and repair Are they large, models. the workshops, or quite small? They are... Um, <laughs> they are to scale. OK, excellent. Um, so I love it. So I bought this uh, postcard, because I, I, uh, when our son left home, I took over his bedroom in the attic as a study, and I've been... He must to... have loved that when he came back from university. He's, uh... He, he's, it's tough. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, no, he doesn't. He's always welcome to visit. <laughs> 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 for brief periods, that's fine. But I have basically... And, Tom, you may appreciate this. So I'm basically sticking postcards to the attic X. ceiling. So gradually they're encroaching over the entire ah. ceiling and I wanted some from Beckinscott. And and
2: so, so does this have blue tack on the back?
1: Uh, There's this a copy I've bought. I had to uh, take off the wall and I did that thing where you put the blue yeah, tack onto yeah. the smudge and get it Blue off.
2: tack on a postcard is a sign of love.
1: Yes, absolutely. So I bought this because it's a commercial postcard. It's something I purchased for myself because I like looking... When I'm writing or researching, I like looking up from my desk and seeing this little image of the Mm. model village. Very good. Now, Margate
2: had a model village till relatively recently. Have I got that
1: right? Was there one in Cliftonville?
2: Mid-70s. Mid-70s? Seems recent to me.
1: Well, it's funny you should say that, because that is the first model village I was ever taken to. Was it? Because my grandparents retired. They were from Wanstead in London, and they retired to Broadstairs. So we would come and stay in the summer holidays... And the very first model village I was ever taken to was that one.
2: And how was it? Did it affect you? you I mean, it was
1: small. Um, Yes,
2: they tend to be.
1: It was, uh, but but uh, but I was small, so (laughs) actually actually it was quite big. Um, I don't remember that much about it, except there was a sign, if I remember correctly, and people who've been there, it said, "Pull this lever to see a water otter." Uh, And you pull the lever, and a kettle (laughs) comes. Water otter, you see. Seaside humour. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I remember that. And I, that would have been, I would made a maybe six or seven when I was coming
2: And just one more question about uh, model villages, because I am rather <laughs> interested in model <laughs> villages. Does Beck and Scott have a model village within the model village?
1: Um, no. Oh. Uh, but go- uh, we holiday every year on the Isle of Wight, and God's Hill Model Village is actually a model of God's Hill. And there is a point where you can stand in God's Hill Model Village looking at the Church of God's Hill... Glance down and see the model village church of God's Hill <laughs> and glance down to see the model village within... They've got five. You see a model village within a model village within a model village... Model and, of course, at that point, your brain explodes... <laughs> But, you know, that sort of, you know, what's it cost to get in? Five pounds. You don't take drugs, kids. <laughs> go, to, go to God's Hill Model Village, stand where the churches all aligned, and your mind will expand.
2: Brilliant, brilliant. Well, thank you for inviting us into this mise on Abim, as I believe it's called. Oh, very nice. Inside, inside, inside. Um, now, in the, in the same way that Karen finds herself drawn to postcards of uh, photography, uh, I find myself occasionally drawn to postcards of postcards. Um, so there's just a couple of these, and now there's a reason for this, which I'll come to. I picked these up recently, and they, I thought they were really pretty and nice, and sort of happy. The idea that sending a postcard was a happy thing, which is something I believe in. Um, I don't know how old they are because they're definitely old-fashioned outfits, uh, even for... They're probably pre-First World War, I think, um, And the last one. This is from us. It, going up for the evening... <laughs> Send a few postcards, but the the, <laughs> the, the reason I want to show this is because uh, Scott's next card is uh, of a postbox, and but but rather different.
1: Yes, a little. But, so what are we seeing here, Scott? Okay, so this um, there's a a little bit of background explanation. Uh, in my career as a as a publisher, and also sort of in my life as a reader, I've I often seek out forgotten books. Neglected books, authors who are you know wonderful, perhaps not read anymore, and in fact, one of the things I do with Abandoned Bookshop, the ebook imprint I have, is to re-release some of these things. So I discovered the comic novels of Miles Gibson. He's a, he describes himself as a reclusive writer, and he lives on the south coast. And he wrote a number of uh, comedic novels in the eighties and early nineties. Uh, and they went out, most of them went out of print, and I've, I've republished them. Uh, there's a wonderful one called Einstein about aliens coming to Earth to rescue uh, the, the most important creature on Earth, to take it away before Earth is destroyed. And that most important creature is not the man they come to visit, but his dog. Oh. They want to rescue his dog. That sounds about right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, yeah, lots of... Uh, he also has a wonderful novel uh, called Mr Romance which is about a seaside B&B where the young boy is obsessed with wrestling. You know, there's lots of funny little things. Billy Connolly says he's one of his favourite authors. So, love Marl Gibson's work, and he was, as is often the case, when you publish an author whose work has perhaps become a little bit neglected, he was quite grateful that we had done that, and so we correspond. And he's also an artist, he was a graphic designer, so he doctors postcards, he takes postcards. So the postcard you're looking at here um, is actually a collage. And so it's all cut out and stuck on. So it was a blank card to begin with? Well it was yeah, on the back it's got RA, so I, I assume it's from the Royal Academy. So I don't know what's under I've not peeled it off, so I don't no, know. What's no, you it. shouldn't either. Exactly. So and the content is actually from an unpublished book of his, which is called An Imaginary A Welcome to Earth, an Imaginary Encyclopedia. And there are various entries. So he has created an entry for the six <laughs> types of letterbox approved by the post office, which are Chowbroth, Sarabroth, Farabroth, Hertelie, Nembroth and Goliath. Brilliant. This is all nonsense. He's made all of this up. <laughs> he's also got, you know, the uh, signs of the Zodiac in the book. So it's this spoof encyclopedia that he's written. It's unpublished to this You've day. You've got to get to work on this, Scott. Well, this you know, great idea. Leave, leave it with me. Leave <laughs> it um, but every now and again, I must just get through the post with no notice. I will get a postcard or a little now. it, Leperello? which is like a fold-out, handmade book, almost like a concertina. Oh, okay. He does those. So, and oddly, actually, I didn't realise, so I, I've pulled this one off my study wall, um, but actually the book I'm reading at the moment, my bookmark is another Miles Gibson doctored postcard. Oh, uh, really? So, um, yeah, I love this. Um, I think he's a wonderful author. Uh, if anyone's intrigued, you can, you can find his work on ebook at least. And I would love to make this book... Yeah, I'd like to publish this encyclopedia. Yeah, the Suffolk was a
2: sort of limited art edition. Exactly,
1: and he does all sorts of things. So he's also got a book where there are fifty about the author entries about Miles Gibson, <laughs> and they're all different. And there's another one which is um, most authors find that the hardest bit to write. Exactly. And there's another one which is effectively, I think it's called an ersatz travel guide to the New Forest, and basically it's like those um, locally produced travel guides that you get, but everything in it is made up. Brilliant. So fake histories, fake geographical So he's wonderful. I think he's marvellous yes. and should be cherished as a, as a national treasure. But as is often the case, you know, publishing and writing is is all about luck and I just wonder
2: if the time is coming for him to I hope so. Feels like I
1: really, really hope so. I think he's amazing. And and uh, it's a tri you know you don't often get a postcard from an author you admire where it's all handmade. I mean, no, it's beautiful. That's lovely. So
3: that is that one of one? You yes, know, it's, it's one a, of one. Oh, that, one. that is just so lovely, isn't it? It's a lovely oh, thing. You can feel it, can't you? Yeah. You can feel the layering on it. <laughs> yeah. That is a beautiful It's theme. really nice. And then so
1: I, don't, I, don't know if we, I don't know if we have the back coming up on screen. No, no, no. So the back is a stamp of a chimpanzee, and then he's cut out like a speech bubble that says, you should invite the other kids in the building here sometime. LAUGHTER <laughs> I have no... It's like your postcards that you find. Yeah, you yeah, finding like, a phrase. Exactly. So I, he's, I think he's a wonderful author, and I love, I love the stuff he does. And this is... I mean, it is a postcard. Beautiful. Um, but he's done something, I think, quite, quite wonderful mm, with it.
2: Definitely. I was at the um, uh, Artists' Postcards exhibition at mm. the British Museum, and I only went to it last this year, earlier this year. Very good exhibition. And I went to a talk with a uh, curator, and she said... Um, uh, here's a lot of cards, uh, not unlike that, where um, the artist has made an intervention to a postcard. So they take a normal postcard and they've painted something on or they've changed something. Or they've, and um, I'm not about to show a picture of this, but it, it, um, it amused me because I see so many cards where the correspondent has made an intervention yes. and they've, they've written, we stayed here, mm-hmm. or there were no toilets around here. <laughs> anyway, that's that. Um, well, thank you, Scott, for sharing that. Uh, the... Unique. – it's, it's a one-off. – It's a one-off. It's a one-off. Um, very quickly, and I would normally do more of my uh, sort of amusing ones here, but just quickly, as we are here in Margate, I've got a couple of Margate cars to look at. Um, this is from 1907. Um, it says, uh, Many thanks um, for the trouble you are taking on my part. It's not a funny message, it's just a message. It says, um, Sorry, I cannot let you have bike as, as you wanted because we are the other end of M, Margate, I guess, uh, at work, and it's very handy. <laughs> so there's a loan of a bicycle. Interesting to hear about bicycles in 1907. Mm. Um, and then a couple more of these. This, I thought the um, bathing machines were rather good on this, and the donkeys. It's really good blowing these cards up. You see stuff you wouldn't even see under a magnifier. Mm. Um.
3: There's a beach photographer there. I can spot him right in it. Well, I can no, spot, yeah. spot his yes. tripod and camera.
2: And is that his stall? Do you think? Well,
3: it might be. I think that looks more like a fruit stall in actual fact. But these are hand tinted, aren't they? Yes. Hand- yeah, hand tinted. Well, do you think?
2: No, they're, they're hand tinted before printing. Yes. As it were. Yeah. Yeah, not, yeah. Yes. Hand-tinted yeah. No, they're then black then and printed. white shots originally. Yeah, and a lot of building going on over there mm. think, in the background. Um, this is from 1908, right in the heart of the golden age of postcards. Uh, just a bit of the message: We are having our first glimpse of sun today. That's a story we we're all familiar with. Um, <laughs> It's awfully rough, but very enjoyable. Rough, I think, meaning the sea, but it might be the people no. of Margate. <laughs> <laughs> um, certainly not the comment on that. Last one of these. and um, This is a, 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 a genre of yeah. postcard, very well-known uh, to, to Karen. Rough seas. These are very, very popular. Um, record waves and rough seas. There's a storm at Margate. I'm sure it's never as rough as that here. Um, I, like, I like... This is 1904, quite early. I really like the words on this because it said... But it's hard to see. Uh, Letter received, thank you muchly. And I thought, I didn't know that people said thank you muchly Mm. uh, in Margate in 1904. But uh, it it seems like they do.
1: I just want to say, for the benefit of those listening to the podcast not here, is that we are in Margate and the front row of the audience are all in deck chairs. Yes, yes. And at (laughs) least one of them is awake. Well, I was going to say, (laughs) as I glance across, I'm convinced. I'm convinced (laughs) some of them are going to doze off at some point.
3: yeah. yeah. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.
2: You're listening to Podcast from the Past, the postcard podcast, with a live audience. Thank you. From the Turner Contemporary Gallery as part of the Margate Bookie, and my guest today our publisher and publishing guru, Scott Pack, and photographer and curator and writer, Karen Shepardson. Now, Karen, it's back to you. Right. Now we're moving into more personal cards, I believe.
3: OK. Oh, yes, yes. So this is uh, what would be referred to as a walkies or a seaside uh, image from... I know it's from Birchington. Even though you can see there's a code at the bottom, it's upside down, but it begins with an F. But uh, you learn how to translate these codes, and I know that that code is from Sunbeam, in actual fact, the the company, and it means that it was taken in Birchington in the 1950s. And who we see there is actually my uh, mother before I was born. It's the 1950s. I'm born in 1963 with my grandmother, I called her nanny, Uh, my nan, um, her mother, uh, sitting on this side. And I know that my mum is only 14 there, and I look at her and I think... Cracky, you look older than 14, but maybe it's just me getting, getting older. But I didn't know this uh, image existed. And, um, you know, like many people involved in photography, you become the fa- family archivist as well. And so when my mother died, relatively recently, um, all of her albums, her boxes, her carrier bags uh, full of photographs uh, came my way. And um, as many of us do when we start to, you know go through that process of grief Uh, I had a sort of natural instinct to go to the photographs of my my mum and I came across this image and um, probably uh, the archive had been going for about four or five years by this time and we'd had numerous community collection days where people had brought in their photographs just like these these postcard photographs And they had not only allowed us to scan them to add to our archive, but they had talked about the stories behind it. And they were always like a song well sung. It uh, it wasn't history, it was memory. And there's an absolute difference to that. And it felt very heartfelt. But I was quite cool. I mean, I, I weep at the drop of a hat now. Something's happened to me, you know. Um, but I, would, I would, could be the professional and I would take their story and I would know how they would sometimes kind of trace their finger around the, the shape of the person that was in the picture who's no longer there. Really what you were saying earlier, Tom, about the, the, the notion that the photograph can be touching. And then I found this. And it floors me. I mean, it still floors me, but it floored me at the time because, A, I found myself tracing the outline of my mother's body and yearning in a way that, as a 50... I was probably 52 then, in a yearning in a way that I hadn't ever experienced uh, before. But it was actually her... Not just her look, but her gesture completely floored me. I mean, I don't want to bring the tone down at all. Um, But only about a month before... um, Uh, I saw this picture I had been with my sisters and my mum at the hospice and my mum seemed perfectly well but she had a little bit of shortness of breath and thought it was a bit strange they sent us to the hospice Um, but still um, ever the optimist and when we were in there the um, consultant in the way that wonderful pilgrims hospice in Margate they're just fantastic but uh, he told her as gently as he could that she only had a matter of weeks to live And she did this exact same gesture. She leaned forward, she clasped her hands in front of her, her knees, and she thanked him, you know, in that very English way. She thanked him and made it easier for him and easier for us. And uh, when I was pulling the postcards out and the photographs out of the carrier bag, there she was, this moment before I even knew her, but was then echoed in, in her 80th year. So... Uh, yeah, but the terrible uh, the terrible thing, my mother died. <laughs> yes, I, I accept that that was probably quite terrible. But not a tragedy, but, you know, it's terrible for, for us personally. But the really terrible thing is I've now lost this postcard. Oh, wow. And um, I'm sure I'll find, You'll it. find it. You'll but, uh, find yes, it. But, yes, you don't need to feel too sad about that. Uh, the only thing is, rather like um, Scott, um, the revelation of Scott telling the quiz... Uh, questions i haven't yet told my sisters that i've i've lost this uh, this postcard i'm sure it will turn up i've i've put it somewhere safe but again it shows actually that my sorrow at losing it and i did feel very sad says that this isn't anything to these very democratic objects the postcard and it's something that you pick up time and time again tom with the work that you do with the, postcards. the it's just it is about memory it isn't about money it is about things that connect all of us um in that truly interconnected way and uh yeah so that's a yes it's a seaside image um Yes, of my mother and my nan. And I actually don't have many pictures of them together. And those shoes at the front, they (laughs) they absolutely kill me because I think, oh, gosh, I hope they're not my mum's. I mean, (sighs) unlike me, she only ever loved pretty things. I mean, she despaired of the tomboy that she she gave her.
1: She's kicked them out of the way, but but not far
3: enough. (laughs) No, that's right.
1: There's also something I think always incredibly powerful about seeing an image of a relative, especially a parent, before you were around. So this is yes. years before you, this is before yeah. there was any knowledge of you, this is you know, and I think that's incredible because you've had no impact on her at that point. Yeah. And, you know, whether positive or negative, but yes. you know, there's there's just nothing that you're you're not even
3: a figment. Scott, that's so right. Mm. And the the strange thing that I had to wrestle with at that, that time was that I felt maternal towards her. Mm. That I felt I wanted to somehow nurture this diffident, yeah. um, shy, slightly awkward. Yeah. Uh, girl uh, and that's really strange yeah. to be the child of the child and feel with that maternal response there's, there's yes. a photograph
1: of my dad uh, at south end on sea with a bunch of his mates they were all rockers they'd gone to south end to beat up mods <laughs> that's what they'd gone
3: for holy macaroni yep yeah, and they all had
1: they, they were sitting I'm on a, stuffed, a sitting on a stuffed donkey going back to your sure order. sure they've all got 007 license to thrill hats on <laughs> now my dad looks like an absolute ruffian yeah and it's a great photo and I've, uh, for years I was trying to get, can you can get me a scan a copy of it? And it turns out that photograph was taken the day before he met my mother. Oh. Because he knows that we went back, he said we drove back to Wanstead that night, and the next day is when I first met your mother. That's and those, are, just the power in that photo, I've always loved the photo, yes. but just the knowledge that at that point, not only was I nowhere on the horizon, but his wife was nowhere, I just find that sort of thing fascinating. Yeah. So it's a beautiful and it's, and story and it's about last your... day
2: of sort of... That single life... Before, before it all even...
1: went horribly, horribly <laughs> wrong. Before it changed forever. Stegies. Stegies. No, of course, that's fine. They'll be listening to this before... Before <laughs> the, the magic, magic happened. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it fascinating
2: that there's, yeah. there's, You know, all photographs are moments captured, obviously, mm. but just sometimes, and if, it's, you know, if you know the people involved, it can have a, a very different power.
1: There's, a, there's yes. an author called Dan Rhodes uh, who has a photograph of the first moment he ever met his wife because it was a, a book signing and the photograph of his is him glancing up to sort of say, what shall I write in your book? And his wife, and it's the very first moment he ever laid eyes on his future wife. Oh, I wife. love that. So those, and that's why, I mean, I think that's a beautiful story about, about your mother. It's those sort of, the power you. of those images. Mm. It's just, half of it's in the knowledge of what was
3: to come. What's to yeah. come. It's yeah. our narrative history, yeah. actually, isn't it? Or yeah, memory, yeah. Absolutely.
1: yes. Absolutely. And
2: th- that's why all the postcards I put up are nothing to do with me. <laughs> so that I don't have any of those emotional roller coasters and <laughs> am I, I, I to an ask you a quick distance.
1: Am I allowed to ask you a question, Tom? Yes, of course. In all this sharing of the postcards, has anyone ever got in touch to say, that's my postca- <laughs> co- postcard? Uh, a few
2: people have, but they're always wrong. <laughs> um, be- I tend to find
1: people are. Yes, yeah. well,
2: but be- because, because I sort of decontextualise the messages, yeah, yeah. people say, oh, that's just like my uncle this, or I'm sure that was me at that disco in... Ramsgate, or whatever it was, and then they're they're wrong. They're always wrong. There are millions and millions and millions of these cards out there, and the chance of it being the right person Mm -hmm. is so remote. I have... The closest I've got... I don't really look at the addresses very much, cos that's not my project. Mm -hmm. But I have seen the address of the daughter of one of my school teachers cos they they live very close to the school, and I recognise a very unusual surname. Mm -hmm. But that's the closest I've got. Mm -hmm. Um... But I'm kind of... There are people who do fantastic... There's a woman at the... Um, there's an academic at the University of Lancaster who takes um, Edwardian postcards and tries to trace the families and the places and, and make the connections and bio, get the biographies of the people involved, um, which is a crazy thing to do when you think there are millions of those cards. Um, mm. But I, I go the other way. I quite like to see what universal things we can find from the specific things people have said.
3: Um, now, there is Karen. something there is something universal about that, though. I think that's quite interesting, because when we exhibit these postcards, we often have people saying, oh, I think that's my auntie, or that it's, we have that same experience where people do recognise or seem to recognise, and often we know who it is and we know that there isn't that recognition, no. but we tend not to put them right.
2: But I... You're much nicer than me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Look, Karen, you've got another card for us. Oh, right. I think we're, we're sort of on the subject of... The flip side of the wirism perhaps now.
3: Oh, I love this one. Yes. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yes, oh, yes. that's so why where I chose are we? it. Margate. Oh, yes, we're in Margate still. Of course we are. Um, and this is wonderful. Well, for me, I think it's wonderful because a photographer is obviously taking this image. So it's a seaside photograph, and it will eventually, the next day, be up for sale. So uh, the people in the photograph can actually purchase this. But we've actually got this young woman here on the, the right-hand side photographing her pals with a box brownie, or the box brownie equivalent. Her pal, one of the, the chap on the far side, closest to you, he's got his own camera. So suddenly we've got people taking their own cameras on the beach... Uh, and to the seaside. So I love this idea of the uh, commercial photographer looking at this scene. He will be, and it will be a he, because there weren't female photographers working as commercial photographers at this particular time in Margate. He can kind of see the demise of his future here. Uh, He's working with a very big camera. It's not quite the size of a Ford Cortina, but pretty big. You know, It's a pretty hefty old box he would be using compared to what they've got. And those panels that you can see other people looking at, that's just full of these types of postcards. So every day these postcards would go up. There's one on the far side that's just Tuesday, um, and often there'll be over a 1, 1,500 photographs up And so people are trying to find themselves to decide whether they want to buy their their own postcard to send home. And and
2: judging other people, no doubt.
3: Judging and finding it funny. Uh, You know, there's lots of stories about people who would spend a long time looking at it and laughing. And I love how, you know, this is cutting-edge technology these young folks uh, are using here. And then you've got the older woman right in the middle, kind of looking, almost Victorian, looking and thinking, well, what's going on there? And others looking at the photographer taking this image. So for me, it's all about that notion of looking, looking at friends, look friends looking at the photographer, uh, the photographer looking at them. And so it, to me, this beautiful postcard, which we found by chance, uh, is really about that notion of the camera coming onto the beach and how important it is for capturing um, our day-to-day experiences. I mean, these were, obviously, they weren't selfies, uh, the way that these pictures were being taken, but they were the equivalent uh, that the, the sheer mass of photographs that were being taken on the, along the Thanet coast, 40,000 would be taken in one single day. Oh I mean, we're talking God. about stack em high, sell em cheap. You know, it was, that, was, that was the mentality at that time. I think this is probably 1920s. When I look at the fashion, yes. the um, uh, sort of newsboy hat of the man in the background looking out and then the boaters of the younger men, I think that probably around the 1920s, so after the First World War.
2: Very good. Beautiful Thank clothing.
1: Well.
2: Uh, now, Scott, ah, yes. we're into the literary world again now <clears with> you, <throat> I think. i we are,
1: yeah. So what is this? <laughs> this is a painting by Albert Dwayne, which was sent to me as a postcard by his widow, Rosemary Dwayne. And Albert Duane wrote a number of very successful books in the 80s, uh, 70s and 80s under the name of William Wharton. Uh, probably not known to, to lots of people these days, but his most famous book is a book called Birdie, which was turned into a film directed by Alan Parker, starring Nicolas Cage. A and big film. Loading. Very big, successful film, award-winning film. And uh, that book, Birdie, is... The book is about uh, a, a young man, teenage boy, who is obsessed with birds, keeps birds, trains birds, and at some point dresses up in a bird suit to try and fly... Uh, He's a complete weirdo in the street, in the the town. But he befriends the local cool guy, Al. Um, And Al is played by Nicolas Cage in the movie. Um, And they go to war. And the book is is told in parallel, so you get the story of them growing up as kids and the obsession with birds. But then you also get um, Al has been injured in the war. He's got facial disfigurement and burns, so his face is all wrapped up. And he's been brought back to see Birdie who has lost his mind and thinks he is a bird and he's in a psychiatric hospital perched on the side of his bed and the idea is Alice is supposed to talk him down and this was a very successful book in the 80s huge bestseller turned into a very popular film but um and i'd read that having seen the film at 17 18 something like that fell in love with his work and then gradually bought all of his books and you know now i'm a lot older and i've worked in the book world so i've got a house full of books But this was at the time when I was starting to collect books. So I had empty bookshelves to fill. So when I had enough money from work or or whatever, I'd buy another book. And so William Wharton was one of the authors I I bought. And then flash forward sort of 25-odd years, he's no longer in print in the UK. I happen to come across his agent. We start chatting. And then I republish all of his works. He has died in the meantime. He died in the early 2000s. And so I republished Birdie and I republished a whole bunch of his books, including my personal favourite, which is a book called Frankie Furbo, which is about uh, an American soldier who is injured in Italy and rescued by a talking fox. <laughs> he did come up with quite unusual stories. It was didn't a he? quite unusual story. But anyway, I loved his work. Um, um, but he was also a painter. Uh, he also fell in love with France. He went back to France. He fought in France in the war, went back to France after the war, and set up a home there. He actually lived in a houseboat on the River Seine where Rosemary still lived, and she would send me postcards. So this is a painting by her husband of their daughter's French farmhouse. Magnificent. And then if you look sort of um, in the sort of left, you see a sort of yellow triangle mm-hmm. so, just in between the buildings? That's yes. actually Bert and Rosemary's old, old mill where they lived. Uh-huh. They had a place, they had a mill there, and then they also had the, the place on the same. So I um, started republishing his works... But then Rosemary Rose said, Oh, I've got loads of stuff that was never published. Mm. Do you fancy giving that a go? So if I'm, if I'm right, I think this is the postcard she sent. We've got the, the flip side of this. So, yeah, so, Dear Scott, I'm enclosing the Wall Street Journal's review of Shrapnel. And Shrapnel was actually his wartime memoir. Oh. And he'd never written... He'd written fiction about the war. But when you read Shrapnel, you find out how much of that fiction was based on, on truth. Oh, okay. um, um, so, yeah. Um, and then this is another postcard.
2: She always had a few of these knocking around. I mean,
1: she must have had a pile of these. And um, this came a few months later. And this one is about the, unpublished, the other unpublished works. So I have got in my house... The actual typeset, typewritten manuscripts mm. of six unpublished William Wharton books. Still unpublished? Still unpublished for reasons I'll explain in a second. Okay. And, and you see, halfway down, she says, I'm re- in, in rereading Worth Trying, I found much good, uh, but Run, Run, Run is unfocused. I oh. suppose it's lovely that she, she's looking at it with a critical eye. Mm. Worth Trying is a sequel to Birdie, Ooh. which has never been published, and as far as I'm aware, it has been read by three or four people on the planet. Wow. And the other thing is, I don't know if anyone here has read Birdie or is familiar with Birdie, but the opening page of the sequel completely changes the meaning of Birdie. Wow. I won't tell you how, but it makes you... It just completely changes the whole meaning of that first book. It's remarkable. And you've still got the manuscript for that? I've still got the manuscript. Basically, what happened was... You've got a lot of work ahead of you. Still. Well, you'd think so, but his children, who are now in their sixties, late 60s themselves... Uh, decided, you know what, we might, we, we're going to do something with these themselves. And that's their right, and I'm very happy for them to do so. They haven't done it
2: yet. Yeah, well, that's the problem with groups of children deciding it, it, to do things.
1: Exactly. But yeah, so um, these postcards are very dear to me because I'd, I never met Rosemary, um, but we corresponded for two or three years all about her husband's work, and she would, she would still, she still lived. I mean, she was well into her 80s. She still lived in the houseboat on the Seine that he built. <sighs> That's a life. It's incredible. And she, did, she spent the summer there, and then she spent the winter in L.A., of course. <laughs> you, you're not going to spend the winter on the same. So, yeah, they, um, just this brief... Uh, only two or three years we corresponded while I was publishing his works. Um, but, you know, they mean quite... And I've got probably a dozen or so of these. Uh, some of them are different paintings that, that Bert did. Um, and when we published Shrapnel in the U.K., his son came over, was interviewed on Radio 4, and, you know, talked. it was reviewed at like, Wall Street Journal, as it says there... Um, Remarkable. And a a very fascinating man uh, who wrote about all sorts of things.
2: Slightly sobering as well, the idea of how big an author can be
1: and then fall out of print and and be slightly forgotten. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's the fault of the publishing industry. We publish far too many books. There isn't a bookshop in the world that could hold all the books that are published in one year. And when you think about the books that every bookshop should have, you know, if you walk into a bookshop and they don't have To Kill a Mockingbird, you don't think it's a very good bookshop. So there's all this stock you've got to have then you've got all the stuff all the you'd like stuff. to have, and then you've got all the... New, and already you've run out of room. Yeah, so nice. if, if you write a book and it stays in bookshops for a year or two, you've actually... You're well above average.
2: I feel good about this now.
1: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's, it. Absolutely. Well, that's,
2: that's amazing. Hmm. Look, uh, we're, we're running a bit out of time. Thank you both so much for sharing these um, little Proustian oblongs um, that sent us rushing towards these stories and observations and ideas and emotions... Um, and, uh, and sharing them also with the audience here in Margate and, and the, uh, the audience at home. Uh, quick reminder, images of all of these uh, cards are going to be on the website, postcardfromthepast.co.uk, including a couple of quick ones from me, just to end things off. Um Molinos, don't know if anyone here has ever been to Torremolinos. The message here reads, The talent around the bars is looking good, <laughs> but I haven't been to any log cabins yet. I don't, I don't quite know what the log cabins were, but um, we can probably imagine. Mm-hmm. And then one last one at Margate for you. You've it. probably seen one of these, the Lazy Graham. These were produced by Butlins. And um, they are always funny, these multiple-choice ones. Um, you know, I miss you, miss the folks, miss the home. I need sympathy, aspirins. Anyway. Um, now, we always end the programme with one of these. So I've got one last card for you both to have a look at. Uh, Karen and Scott. And there's an image of it on the screen. <laughs> um, I don't know if you can describe it for the listener at home.
3: Should I go for it? Go for it. Beautiful Blackpool with the uh, tower on the third. So beautifully, beautifully composed. I think again it might be hand tinted before it's been I'd printed. I so. But we've also I you got the
2: best person in Britain to describe a picture of the seaside, actually. <laughs>
3: well, it's a beautiful. It's a beu- It's actually a really beautiful card. I I wouldn't like to date it with those little kiosks on there. But of course, there's this rather. Mysterious hole in the middle. Yes. So, what is that about? Well,
2: it, um, as, as, as you can see, it's a mm-hmm. record on a postcard. It's a musical postcard. <laughs> um, and um, my esteemed colleagues from Wardour Studios have taken the liberty of putting it onto something more digital. And I think if we're very good, they can play it for us.
3: Wonderful. Thrilling. <laughs> loving you to keep my baby
1: happy <laughs> it takes a whole lot of isn't that we expect to hear whole whole
2: from Blackpool time. Tower <laughs>
1: whole lot
3: loving just to keep
2: my baby happy. This might have been what your dad would have been listening to when he was going to cause trouble at the seaside.
1: Possibly. There's, I mean, there's a lot less organ in this than I was expecting.
2: <laughs> oh, well, yes.
3: I think, it, I think it's what? earlier than your dad, actually. I,
2: I always say the same thing when we play one of these. It's not bad for a piece of cardboard. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty
3: high-tech. Fantastic. A I vista, mean, sound. vista sound. Vista it, sound? That's the best. Beautiful.
2: Well, as Blackpool Tower spins round at 4. 45 RPM, taking with it the ballroom, the circus, and mountains of soggy chips. That's it for this time on Podcast from the Past. I'd very much like to thank the organizers of this terrific event, my first class guests for sharing the postcards from their pasts, Scott Pack and Karen Shepherdson. And thank you both, and thank you, the audience here at the Margate Bookie. And thank you for listening. Bye for now. See more postcards with their messages posted every day on Twitter. Do follow me at Past Postcard, and you can buy the book Postcard from the Past by me, Tom Jackson, at Amazon and all good booksellers. And if you're looking for podcast production, check out wardorstudios.co.uk.